Welcome to the official African Auntie podcast. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about financial trauma, establishing boundaries and the path to financial freedom from an African perspective. This episode is a conversation that I had with Ken Oruko, who is an entrepreneur. He is a finance coach as well as a YouTuber. And when it comes to his investment portfolio, majority of his exposure is to emerging markets, in particular Kenya. He knows all things um, investing in Kenya. So when you have the time, check out his YouTube page, Ken Money Matters. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Ken Oruko. Before we get started, I was wondering if you could just talk a bit about your money story and uh, how you got into investing. All right, all right. Thank you so much for inviting me to the podcast. Um, mainly, I'm born in a rural area in Kenya. So I'm partly from the village and partly from town. I was born in the rural area, then moved to town, which is Nairobi City. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in the rural area, I was in a polygamous family. So I'm from a polygamous home. A polygamous setup, a lot of things happen that people do not know. But one thing that I learned from a polygamous setup is that um, you need to get your things together. Basically, you need to get your finances in order as a house. This kind of uh, uh, fight for resources within the home, which most people don't understand that part. Uh, there is always need to have your resources in order so that each house is sufficient enough. Because sometimes you find that the man... Uh, may not be in a position to take care of everyone the way it's supposed to be, right? Mm. So each mom has to take care of things. Now, my mom was married at a very early age, um, about 17, and I was also given birth at a very early age. And that meant that I had to grow up very fast. Mm-hmm. I think that's where I started being very keen when it regards to money. So my money story starts from a very early age. I remember my mom had like a shop and she used to sell uh, donuts Oh, was, wow. yeah. <laughs> and you know, at that time in the rural area when you're selling donuts you don't you don't have like a kiosk you sell them in your home so mm-hmm. like my mom had her bedroom and then the window on her bedroom is where she'd have the shop so it's like small window to the bedroom and we give people things through the small window it was a very interesting concept but from there on I started knowing how to manage money basically she was a very good businesswoman and very good teacher in that sense actually she was my business teacher in primary yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yes, that's that's where my, my my journey with money started. Then after that, I worked in my dad's hardware for a period of time at a very young age again, and I was managing mm-hmm. money and ensuring that I know what's coming in and what's going out. How can we continue the business? How do we pay employees? And I was very young at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, my money mind has been due to a lot of factors. Some of them from the family level and an other societal mm-hmm. level. And of course, now when I grew up and came to Europe, now I did a comparison because of course, having grown in the rural area and partly in town and coming to Europe, now I realized there's some differences when it comes to money and financial literacy generally. And that's when I decided, you know what, I think there's a, a huge gap because the financial literacy between where I came from and where I am now. And we need to bring those people up so that they understand from when they are young, what they need to do with regards to finances. So yes, that's why I'm here. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, sounds good. And like from what you've shared, like your story, there's just so many things that I can see that contributed to like your, I want to use the passion for like finance and investing, especially like with how you talked about how like your, um, your drive towards like financial literacy 
was due to like that setup that you had in yeah. the home. Um, but I guess from what you said, one thing that stands out to me is the fact that that financial literacy is something that you learned after you came here. So do you think um, within the African setup, it's something that's not really available to people? Or do you think that the financial literacy that you got from your parents, because you mentioned that your mom had a business, your dad also had a business, um, and then those were like the foundations. But would you say that you had to like learn more from outside of like that environment to learn more about how to like push you forward? And do you think maybe that's something that's lacking within the, um, I guess, like African community per se? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, you, you're right. Of course, you know, there's all, all of us have like an upbringing and a foundation mm. in which you understand a few things about the society. The issue with the, us in Africa, especially, is that we don't get to understand how those things that we experience in our childhood get to play in the larger society. So we are not taught that whatever you're experiencing down here is what will happen there. So we are not taught, we are not intentionally taught that this is what you need in the future. So I can categorically say it wasn't financial literacy as such in quotes at that particular time. It was more, we were surviving, right? Yeah. So certain things for you to survive. But then later when you grow up, you realize, you know what? I actually needed that knowledge more than the school I was taken to. So yeah. I should have focused intentionally on getting that knowledge. But of course, nobody knew that. Our parents didn't really focus on that. We didn't focus on that. It's just now that when I'm sitting here, here that I realized that was actually a good thing that I should have actually focused on it. Yeah. But like you say, financial literacy generally is one thing that hasn't been taught um, mm -hmm. amongst, among people. And now I always say that in Africa, it's a bit different. I would say in Europe, when I came to Europe, I must say to some level, they're now trying to incorporate financial literacy into school and into children when they're young. But in Africa, it's quite different. Our environment and our, our, our upbringing in society just doesn't inspire financial literacy, if I would say so. <laughs> I will explain this because I do believe financial literacy is something that should not just be incorporated in the curriculum in schools. It should be something that is in our lives every day. Basically, every single thing you do, you mm. need to be thinking of financial literacy. Like, how does this contribute to the economic well-being of yourself, those around you, and the society at large? Because mm. for you to understand finances, you need to understand how the, how the world works. You need to understand the capitalistic system and how it works. I definitely didn't get that information for sure. And uh, just like so many people, my peers, we didn't understand what was the need of knowing so much about money. And the biggest issue we have is that the education system that we joined just grilled us towards certain subjects or certain uh, core topics, mm. of which money wasn't one of them. So I do believe that, yes, I've learned a lot of uh, the importance of financial literacy when I'm here, yeah? But I believe it's something that should be normal in everyday life, in, especially in Africa. I completely agree. But I guess I would also argue that even within like the Western side as well, I don't think, for instance, myself, like when I was in school, so I went to like primary school here and secondary school here. Like I never learned about money like when I was at school. And the only reason why I got to that point was because I did economics for yeah. my undergrad. And then that's when you start to learn a bit about like how the money system works in the yeah, economy. But, but, but if you think about it, if you think mm. about it, Wally, um, for us now, let me leave the comparison. In Africa, for example, yeah, you were born here, so I know you understand the system here. But let me give you a picture. Tell every single person that financial literacy in Africa is different from financial literacy here. I'm not saying that you are well equipped. No, I'm saying that we were starting from different levels with regards to financial literacy. Now, let me tell you and a scenario whereby I grew up knowing that um. 
you know, I had to, for example, give tithe in church, you know, yeah. that's a very common thing in Africa, right? So giving tithe was something that you religiously believed in it. I was taught that it's a good thing to do, but nobody was at the same time telling me that I needed to keep some money aside for my own well-being. Mm-hmm. Now, let me give you another scenario. In Africa, the parentification of children, the, the environment and how we are parentified is very different from you, for example, yeah? What do you mean uh, by parentification? For example, now in my case, <laughs> yeah. now let me tell you about my case here. Mm. I'm a firstborn. Yeah. yeah? Uh, to a very young mother. So at a very early age, I had to grow up very fast. Oh, and I see what you mean. Yeah. meant that I had to do certain responsibilities. I had to take up certain responsibilities that a normal child in Europe would not learn to take up. Mm. Now, at that stage, again, it meant that instead of me focusing so much on the things that were right for me at that time, I was focusing on helping other people lift themselves up, meaning my siblings in this case. That's number one. And how that also applies is that the moment you get a job or you get any income, that money will be going back to the family. That's the problem of parentification. That's a very important point because most firstborns are now parentified in that they take up responsibilities that they're not supposed to take up. So they start taking care of their siblings. Like when I came to Europe, for example, the money I'm getting here is not just for me to invest or take care of my needs. It's for some people back at home too. So you see, if I'm talking to you about financial literacy and I'm talking to myself about financial literacy, it's different in that you, for example, your money is your money, for example. And most likely, I don't know, but I'm just yeah. most people in Europe, the money actually most people have interacted with, especially I would say people who are, you know, uh, I would say people are uh, in Finland where I lived for a long time. And in the UK, the money that they make even at a very young age, that money belongs to them. The money I made when I started working didn't belong to me. That yeah. money was to go back either to the family. Now, mm. that's a very important point because it means when you are starting to grow wealth and talk about finances at your age now, I was still thinking of how do I help my siblings back at home? But I guess for me, I would say that that's, I see it as a good thing. So for instance, like with my parents, obviously it's also within reason because I know sometimes family members can be unreasonable. But like, for instance, like with my parents, they grew up in the village and then they went to town and they helped their siblings. And as a result, they were able to pull like the whole family up as along with them and then those siblings helped other siblings and when I stayed in Malawi I ended up staying at my uncle's house who is somebody who my mom paid for school fees and because she paid for school fees he's doing really well so it's almost like a circle and then now he's able to help me but I also understand what you mean as well about the parentification but wouldn't you say that maybe as opposed to saying like oh um children are parentified but maybe having some sort of balance where you have that sort of like community side of the African experience and like um I guess like the individual side of the western one and how do you think somebody could balance that or if if, I don't know if you've ever thought about it before no no you definitely have to balance it and this is something I talk about uh remember I also run a life coaching so I always say you know what I'm not saying we move from our own ways no yeah I'm saying that you see the issue here Wally is that we have a capitalistic system that was not ours originally yeah that's capitalistic system was western that's that's Mm. that's that's ideological that's the reality and yes we like it we have adopted it and we're working with it right now but we must understand that everyone coming through that system in Africa has a confusion of two things. They have the capitalistic system, then they have the communal system that they were used to. Now, if you have these two systems that are now conflicting, you get a bit conflicted on what should you hold on and what should you let go. And that's why sometimes we are so confused on the values we should hold on and the values we should let go. Now, the balance you should create is that 
you should always take care of yourself as a person and know where you're going to before you start taking care of everyone else, right? Mm. So for example, when it comes to a job, someone should wait for me to get stable enough and know that, okay, if I tell you, for example, while well, today I'm broke, I may not be broke, like I don't have money. I may actually have invested some money. Yeah. But if I'm going to plan, do financial planning, I'm going to say, okay, this is going to go to my, I help my family up to this moment. I help my, my sisters. But I know the limit. I know that if in a month I do a planning and I know that, okay, 15% is going to investments and only what is left can go to family. That's how it should be. Mm, but we don't true. have the emotional now. This is the problem. We don't have the emotional strength amongst most Africans to actually say no to our family when we should say no. Now, the boundaries have become very thin, especially what we call the financial boundaries. We don't have financial boundaries with family mm. and with friends. Now, if those boundaries are not honored, now this becomes a life coaching issue more like. But yeah. financial boundaries is one thing that really messes up people because we cannot tell our friends no and we can't tell our parents no. We can't tell our siblings no. It doesn't mean you won't help them. It just means at this particular time where I am, the money I had has gone into things that is that are serving me and my family, probably, if I have a family. So you have to take care of yourself first. So I think where we should draw the line is having very clear financial boundaries, knowing that, okay, every month this much can go to my things, but after that, I can now help my family. But not for my family first and then everything else. But then yeah. you end up getting a cycle of poverty. And this one thing that has kept the whole continent down, if you think about it. That's it's true. Cycle of poverty whereby the one person who makes it out helps everyone else. But the problem with what, what you didn't actually uh, uh, talk about in your case is that your people manage to come up. Mm. Yeah, but now the problem that it creates sometimes back in Kenya and even in, uh, in other African countries is that they become lazy. Imagine mm. someone in, in Europe, like I'm in Europe and they, the imagination they have about Europe. So they become lazy expecting that money to be flowing constantly. Now you are not helping those people anymore. You are creating dependency, which will in effect create poverty in the society. So again, you have to know, are you creating dependency? Are you really helping? Or these people you are helping are just sitting down. If I'm helping you build a skill that's gonna give you money, I will sacrifice to help you because I know after one year or six months, you are in a position to stand on your own. But if it is help that is going on indefinitely, as somebody is trying to build my own wealth, it's not gonna be helping you. I'm gonna be destroying myself and destroying you in the same time because in, you don't you can't make your own money you have to depend on my money yeah i like what you said there because when you were speaking i was also like doing a bit of reflection so even for instance like what you said with my parents they weren't giving the money to be like here's some money it was more like for school so yeah. because also at the time like my parents didn't have a lot of money as well so yeah. you're right that it's also about like removing that sort of dependency but yeah. from what you said like the thing that really stood out to me and I've never really heard anybody explain it that way before is the idea of financial boundaries yeah. um so the idea that for instance each month you say okay this is how much um I'm allocating to like different pockets because yeah. I, I guess even like Africans like what you said who come to this country like they're sending remittances day by day but it's like what are those remittances doing i wish i had a statistic about yeah. the amount of remittances that go to africa but yeah, if i'm not mistaken alone, this, this year alone we've done yeah. more than 80 billion yeah that's a lot of money and imagine like how much like that money could like literally build up economies so the question is how that money is being spent so i really liked the point that you said and i guess um giving this to like bringing this example to somebody who 
let's say they're like in their 20s to 40s I know that's a wide age age range but how would you like advise them if you were speaking to them and they're like how do I do this financial planning like what would you say to them like what would a budget look like if you were speaking to someone and I guess for this as well like if you had an Africa who's in Africa and they're supporting their family in Africa as well as an African who lives for instance um, in the UK and they're supporting their family back home and it doesn't necessarily have to be like a young person but what would you say if you were speaking to them and they're like I can't say no to my family like how would they have this conversation uh this is what I always do now before I go to that financial planning and financial boundaries yeah let me mention something that uh we we were talking about just a few minutes ago when it comes to financial literacy in Africa yeah Mm. there's something called financial trauma um, wow. We always have yeah. trauma everywhere else. All of us suffer from some kind of trauma because in life, everything is not perfect. Everything doesn't mm-hmm. work the way we want them to work. And uh, you can suffer trauma at an individual level and at a communal level, at a societal level, because trauma mutates. Trauma is, uh, for example, let me talk about uh, an uncomfortable thing like colonial legacy, for example. Mm-hmm. It's something that's gone now. We're not complaining, just laying the foundation. But this is something that left some kind of trauma in Africans. Mm-hmm. Now, the trauma is not trauma of, you know, PTSD that you see, obviously, but it's trauma that affects different sides of our lives. And that's why I always say that we have to approach financial, financial literacy differently. For example, in Africa, we had the colonial legacy for a long time. And then the colonialists left that system there, the capitalistic system, the religious system, uh, the education system, and everything else, right? So whatever mm-hmm. we are using is what the colonial masters left us, which is not bad because we are trying to modernize as they say, right? But now we must understand that when you are being left, you are left with other traumas. One of them was we were slaves at some point yeah. you know, in your own country, that's trauma. But people have never actually focused on financial trauma. Mm. You know, what could have affected us in terms of how do we think about money as Africans? You see, the way I think about money and the way you while you can think about money could be different because mm-hmm. the system in which I lived was different in the sense that, for example, if my parents were making money as slaves, they were forced to think about money differently, you know, maybe because they were, it was so scarce at the time and their money was taken away that they became fearful even of investing. They became fearful even of saving money because they were living a day at a time, you mm-hmm. know. Nobody was going to give you ex- excess money to save. Now, let me tell you how that would affect someone like me, for example. We always think that trauma ends with one family. It doesn't. Our bodies and our genes remember every kind of trauma. Now, if my parents or my forefathers feared to save because they were beaten out of it or because they were paid pennies when they were working as slaves, you know, and that money was just supposed to do the few basic things, or let's say their attitude to risk changed when the colonialists came because yeah. there are risk things that they could not do because your family would suffer, the people around you would suffer, you know? So a lot of things change with regards to colonialism, right? So that trauma that they had with around money, they couldn't save, they couldn't invest, they couldn't take risks because somebody was in control of your decisions. Somebody was controlling your life literally, you know? In Africa, everything we were doing, our forefathers were doing, they were told. They were told, do it this way, do it this way, pray this way, go to school this way, this is how you're supposed to save money. This is how you're supposed to. So they sat there and they were brought to this system and they were told this is how you're supposed to do it for you to get results. Now that has affected us because now we don't think. Most of us don't think. We want to be mm. told what to do. We want to be explained to every single step of the way this is how you're supposed to do it. Even with regards to finances, 
So someone has to sit down with you and tell you, okay, this is how you budget. Because in yeah. our lives, we've never been taught how to budget. That's financial trauma, you know? Another, another way financial trauma can show is with boundaries, like we're talking about right now. You find people cannot say no. Generally, for real, for real, they can't tell someone no. You go and ask them for money, or the moment they get money and they have that money in their hands, the money will be melting off like, like ice or something, you know? Not because they want to. It's financial trauma. It's because maybe at some point behind there, money was being taken off them, or they had to spend the money very fast before the money was taken off. Mm. These are things we have to think of. Then we can talk about the risk attitude amongst Africans. We don't take risks. Yeah, we <laughs> we're scared. <laughs> yeah, and I would say as well that that trauma also, like I know like for instance, like I've grown up here, but then even some char- some attitudes that for Africans living in the diaspora have, like yeah. the, when you explain it, I'm like, maybe that's also born out of the diaspora because diaspora out of the trauma, because even yeah. within Africans in the UK, how many of those people are investing or saving? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it could be a product of that trauma and us not necessarily addressing um, our financial situations. Yeah. Even right now, if you look at most diasporans, if you go to most of these countries, the US, the UK, who are doing some of the manual jobs, they are black people. But yeah. these black people, because we have to talk about jobs because jobs are part of money making scheme. Black people are doing these jobs as qualified people, but they're not willing to, some of them are not willing to take the risk of going back to their own countries. Why? Because they feel that they are not in a position to make it. Now, tell me, if you have that kind of mindset, can you even make it where you are? You can't make it where you are Mm. because already you fear making certain steps. Me, I talk to people in Finland, for example, I'm telling them, okay, it's not working for you here. Why don't you carry your things, go back to Kenya because you have the qualifications, you have the education, go and hustle back in Kenya, make money in Kenya, invest in Kenya where you understand everything else. And they just can't do it. They would rather sit down and get paid by the state or, you know, do some manual jobs and clean with PhDs. I tell you with PhDs for sure. <laughs> yeah. Now, that means you have the mindset whereby you cannot take risks. That fear, you can't invest in the stock market because if you go into the stock market with that kind of mentality, you won't cash your money out the moment the market <laughs> is going down, right? Yeah, that's true. The moment you should be buying stocks, you're going to be selling them and cashing yeah. out of the market. So they don't want to take such risks like investments. And a lot of diasporas don't invest because of that financial that fear and one thing one thing that really stands out to me is I was speaking to one of my friends and um I was telling about like for instance when I'm going to Malawi usually my plane is filled with foreigners so either maybe people from China or from Europe or from wherever they're coming from and I think it's really interesting how you have people from the UK who go to Africa and they're able to make it in Africa or people from China who are making it so when you said that I was like that's true because we're so afraid to make it in our own homes. Whereas you have people who that's not their home, but they're like, yeah, I'm going to go to like, I'm going to live in Kenya. And it's like, oh, do you have family in Kenya? And they're like, no. Yeah, I see it. (laughs) (laughs) Because these people actually left their own homes. They came to do manual jobs in these countries, but the people in these countries are leaving this place. To go make money, yeah. Actually, you talk to a lot of people, they tell you the next phase for development and growth opportunities is in Africa. So everyone is going back there. A lot of organizations are setting place there. A lot of companies are setting foot there. We are coming. We are looking for ways to come. People every single day are dying at sea. People every single day are doing all these manual jobs in Europe because they can't go back. So that kind of mentality, again, means we have to approach. When you're talking about financial literacy, we have to approach it differently. We have to talk about this financial trauma. Now, let me go to the issue that you talk about. How do I advise someone to do financial planning? That's a very simple thing. Uh, One thing with us is that we don't focus now. I always say that Africans are very interesting people, and not just an African. This is a lot. This is everyone. 
including even here in the UK, I actually talk to young people in the UK too, including not just black people. This I'm talking to every single person. We young people have so much information around us, but we don't know how to sift through the information and to get what works for us. One thing we must realize as young people between 20 and 40 is that having lots of information or having lots of knowledge is not power, it's just potential power. Until you apply the information wow, and knowledge you have, until we use the social media and all these platforms we have to make money and make them work for us, we are not doing anything. Now we have Snapchat, we have TikTok, we have Instagram, we have Facebook, we have all these platforms whereby you can learn different skills. Now, until you use them, you're just going to be as poor. It doesn't guarantee you success. Now that's between 20s and 40s. They have to understand that these things that are happening like Dogecoin, Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency world, doesn't guarantee you success. You have to focus on what you want to first. Now, why do I talk about this? Because if you want to plan, if you want to do financial planning, you must have your life in order. People think that you can just do financial planning and everything else in your life is falling apart. Finances are part of your holistic life. Mm -hmm. If you don't look at your life holistically and think that you're just going to organize your finances, it doesn't want to work. It won't work. So you have to look at your life holistically. How is your life generally? Are you happy? Are you doing the right thing? Are you getting information? Are you learning some skills? And then you have to know what are your goals with regards to your finances. One thing with us is that we also don't write things down. So you tell someone, just write this down. They have a problem with that. As a simple as telling somebody, <laughs> okay, could you just write your goals down? What do you want to achieve in the next one day or two days? Not, not even five years, because we can't think that, that long. Mm -hmm. We don't want to think 10 years. If you tell an African right now, a young person 20 years old, that this investment is going to give you a return in the next 10 years, they're like, no, no, no. no, no. Yeah, I want to write now. I want now. this thing now. <laughs> I want to make yeah. this 1 million, 2 million, you know, in the next, next three months or so. Now, what I would tell them is this, the biggest advantage you have with regards to making money is the time. That's mm -hmm. the only advantage you have, by the way, because with regards to time, I can't reverse my time. You know, I can't go from 30 and go back to 20. Somebody who's at 40 cannot go back to 30, right? So it means mm -hmm. the only thing I have that somebody at 40 doesn't have is time. And the only thing you also need in the market to make money is time. Now, for you to start financial planning, you must know where you want to go to. There's no way you're going to go somewhere you don't have a destination. Yeah. So for you to write down a plan, financial plan, you must know what you want to achieve. So write down your objectives. Even sometimes they may be ambiguous because you're just starting to doing it. Write down some objectives. What do you want to achieve? Where do you, want, do you see your life in the next two years? Don't write even 10 years. Just write two to five years. Just say, okay, where do I see my life in the next two years? Some people will always complain about their lives today, but they don't know what they want, honestly. So a lot yeah. of us, we are very sure about what we don't want. You know, I am sure I don't want this, but they're not sure about what they actually want. I always tell people, can you just stop focusing on what you don't want and shift your mind into on what you want? Yeah, start thinking, what do I want in my life? Now, if you start thinking that way, you will know what makes you happy and what you want to achieve. So if you're broke, you'll be thinking, actually, what I would want is money. You start thinking that way. Now you write that down. What kind of mind do you want by what time, right? That will help you do a financial plan because your financial plan has to go with your goals. It's not something that's in a vacuum. You must have goals and then have a plan. So the first thing is write your goals down. After having those goals, even if they are two or one or three or four, whatever goals, now do a finance plan. Now, how long will it take you to achieve that goal? How long do you think it will take you? And then know where you are at that particular time. So don't have some goals that don't make sense. You know, if you're earning 10,000 a year at that particular time, know that at this particular time, I'm earning 10,000 per year. 
I have no savings, I have no investments, I have debt, I have these things. Recognize where you are at that particular time. So write very clearly this is where I am at this time. These are the goals I have in the next two years. And this is how much I'm earning. That is how you start writing your financial plan. Now, the financial plan, what I'm saying most importantly is have a destination. When you have a destination, the path to get to that destination will naturally come to you. Because mm -hmm. if I want 10 million, I will have to come up with a path that will give me 10 million. There's no single finance plan that's going to fit you and fit me and fit everyone else. All our financial plans must go in line with your objectives, your goals, what you want to achieve. So the most important thing in making a finance plan for most people, don't bother with anything else. Write your goals down. That's it. Your goals will guide you. After your goals are written down, you will know what you need to get there. So if I need a million pounds, I need a business, a job, or a career that's going to give me that million pounds. Right? The fact about finances is that you have to make certain steps. A finance coach or a financial advisor will never do these things for you. You as a person have to make a decision that you want to change where you are financially. That's where it begins. So if you change your mindset and know that I want to make this different, I want to do things differently with regards to my finances, that's where the journey begins. When you make that decision, you come and sit down and know, okay, I want to get to this particular goal. Which vehicle can take me to this goal? But if you don't have a goal, no vehicle can take you to, to nowhere. I completely get what you're saying. And yes. I think that would be like a good point to wrap up. So like what you said about having a destination and then based on what the destination is, that's what can help determine like how you plan out your life. And I think you're right that sometimes you can get to a level where we always complain about our current situations, but we never actually say what we want. So for instance, I could be like, I hate my job. I hate um, my house. I hate this. I hate that. But it's like, but then what do you want? And usually that's always harder. And what's even more harder is putting those things in place as well. So thank you very much for sharing with us. And before um, you go as well, like how can people get in contact with you? Because um, I know you have like a YouTube channel and you also have like a coaching platform. Like how can people contact you if they wanted to? Thank you so much. And I can be found at Ken's Money Matters in YouTube, Ken's Money Matters in Instagram, Ken's Money Matters in Twitter, Ken's Money Matters in, on Facebook and everywhere else. If you just look for Ken's Money Matters, you'll find me. I'm working on the website right now. It should be out uh, in the course of the week uh, with all the things that I do and all the services I offer. So if yeah. someone wants to reach out to me, feel free. I'll always be available. Thank you so much, Wally. Thank you so much, Ken. It was so good to have you. And I hope you have a good rest of your day as well. Thank you for listening to the Official African Auntie podcast. For the show notes, check out wallymahara.com. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me um, at wallymahara.com or feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at wallymahara. Feel free to slide in those DMs. Uh, <laughs> feel free to slide in those DMs. Comment on um, my posts on Instagram and I will reply. I always try my best to reply. But I hope you have a very productive day.